Hello everybody, this is Curtis from Tremble letting you know that we are brought to you by Shudder. Shudder is the horror movie streaming service that brings you all the latest and greatest that horror has to offer. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can use TremblePod, that's T-R-E-M-B-L-E-P-O-D, when you sign up for an account. This will give you a free 30-day trial on us, so you can check it out for yourself. With that said, let's get on with this week's episode. This is like, I feel like this double shot is uh, for me. Yeah. I'm, t- I'm taking ownership over it. Yeah. I mean, I think when we were scheduling this, I could have just, like, I have a little Excel sheet or my Google Sheets, and, like, I put a theme. Instead of just putting Eclectic or David Lynch, I could have just put Steve's Week. Cause Steve's Week. That's what it feels like. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is my shit right here. Um, can I can I say that I I I mean even though that it like Eraserhead on IMDb is billed as a horror, and um, I think even Lost Highway might be billed as a horror, um, I don't consider them horror films. No, I was watching this and then I'm like, this is not really a horror movie. Like at this point, I was already watching it. It was locked in on the mm-hmm. Google Sheet. Mm-hmm. Really. Um, yeah, because Lost Highway is considered a mystery thriller. Mm. Um, yeah. But and then um, um, Eraserhead's mystery horror is billed as, but I don't like. There are horrific things to both films. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I just. I would argue. I feel like, like it's like a subgenre. Like it's it's adjacent. I would definitely I would say. argue that like uh, Eraserhead has some more horror imagery with like the baby and stuff. Mm-hmm. But Lost Highway is definitely like kind of reminds me a little bit of like Mulholland Drive. Like it's a little bit mm-hmm. more mystery thriller, not so much horror. I mean, I'm glad we're talking about it, but I, I definitely would make the argument, uh, support yours, that yeah, it's not really a horror movie per se. Mm. I, I feel like sometimes they throw, like, because of that one scene where he kills his wife or whatever and she's all dismembered, like, I feel like sometimes they throw the horror label on stuff just because, again, yeah, they have, like, horrific things that happen, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I feel like they almost have to, like, blanket cover their bases just so that someone who maybe wasn't prepared for something like that has a little more warning even though it's not entirely accurate to the genre yeah um because yeah this this definitely other than that scene oh maybe the scene where the guy gets his head impaled on the corner of the table that was a little that was a little graphic too um but other than that yeah this was mostly like a mind screw mystery Mm -hmm. which is fine like but i was definitely watching i was like "Mm, i'm not really scared (laughs) this is not (laughs) To be fair, I, th- I can't even remember the last time I watched a movie for this podcast that actually genuinely frightened me. Like, mm. I'm just desensitized at this point. Yeah, though the scene where Robert Blake's face appears on Patricia Arquette's body in the bedroom is oh. still fucking haunting. Yeah. It still fucks with me. I uh, was not expecting that, so I will admit I did put out a little bit of a chuckle when that happened, because uh, it, I that was not what I was expecting. Like, I expected maybe a scary face or something like that, but... Um, my, my husband and I, when we were watching this movie, we nicknamed the mystery man Nosferatu because that scene, for some reason, his face looked a lot like Nosferatu. Um, 
there were a lot of nicknames that we came up for people. Like, uh, the, the guy is a, Fred is a saxophone player, so he became a honker immediately. Um, and there's that one scene where he's standing over Patricia Arquette as she sleeps. And my husband turned to me and he went, I'm home from honking, baby. And it was just, <laughs> it was so good and so funny. And this movie really lends itself to a lot of commentary. If you're ever, like, confused about what's going on, just watch it with someone who is going to uh, supply some good commentary. And it will immediately become that much more enjoyable if you are too confused by the plot. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I think, one thing that is good about Lynch films is... If you're watching it with someone else and you can both turn to each other and go, what the fuck is going on? I almost feel like it helps you process the movie a little bit more and it helps you kind of understand it because you have someone to, like, discuss it with. <laughs> oh, 100%. For sure. Cool. Um, yeah, well, yeah, what is this movie about? <laughs> a great question. Is, I don't even fully know, but this official summary should hopefully clarify things. Well, from the inventory of imagery, Lynch fashions two separate but intersecting stories, one about a jazz musician tortured by the notion that his wife is having an affair, who suddenly finds himself accused of her murder, and the other is a young mechanic drawn into a web of deceit by a temptress who's cheating on her gangster boyfriend. These two tales are linked by the fact that the woman in both are played by the same actress. That's the very <laughs> last sentence in this official summary. But... But one of them also might not be real. Hmm. I don't think anything in this movie is real. I'm just going to say, this movie just was a frustrating experience for me. <laughs> and I admit that I probably need to rewatch this, but the first time I watch it, I'm just like, ah, oh, the fuck is this? Like, yeah. it also didn't help that I smoked a joint before I watched it, so. <laughs> yeah, that will definitely make it a little harder to understand some of the threads that link things throughout this movie. Um. But yeah, and, and I, I, afterwards I did have to look up a little bit of an explanation, because uh, it is not obvious uh, exactly what is happening in this movie, or what at least one interpretation of what is happening in this movie, because I feel like this is a movie where you could go, oh, I think actually it was this, because of this event that happened. And then someone else could think of something else that happened that proves their point. And even though those two things that happened are completely contradictory to both of those theories being accurate, it still kind of works that both people can be correct and not correct at the same time. Like, this is really a movie that you can come up with your own explanation because there's going to be something out there that contradicts it and you just have to accept it. Yeah, and I'm like, is the whole movie about the guy basically denying that he murdered his own wife? Like, I think I think that's kind of, at least, I believe David Lynch at one point has made some sort of comment, and I, I do see in your notes there's an email about it, so maybe I'll leave most of the explanation for that email, but... There is, there is a, a, a true crime event that ties into this movie, and I, I believe the, the common theme is that, yes, this man is kind of coming up with his own narrative as to why he is not guilty for something, um, and he is an unreliable narrator, so we are getting a lot of bits and pieces, and some of them might be based in reality, and some of them might be his own made-up fantasy to try and alleviate his guilt or, or come to terms with what he's done or something like that. Um, which is, if you, I think if you know that going into it, like, especially on a rewatch, I think that the movie makes a lot more sense with that, and you can follow it a little easier than it just being... Because, I mean, the first time you watch this movie, it's all over the place. There's no way that you can make any sense of timelines or what's happening in what order, or is this happening in the past or future, or, you know? Like, it's, it's really all over the place, which, um, I mean, it plays into kind of some of the other themes of Lynch's movies of nightmares and, and going through realities that aren't realities and things like that, so... Um, I don't know, but I also enjoy those themes, and I kind of like being played with a little bit as a viewer, because I like solving mysteries. 
um, and, and figuring things out um, and being the detective a little bit. So uh, this, this movie definitely intrigued me more than it did frustrate me. <laughs> I saw it upon release. Oh, nice. Um, I was already obsessed with this movie before it even came out. Um, and the conduit of my obsession was Trent Reznor and oh, David yeah. Lynch um, working together. Uh, I knew that uh, Reznor was producing the soundtrack for it. It was going to be one of the Halo, uh, the Halo collection, the numbered collection. Um, Nigel Nails fans know what I'm talking about when it comes to Halo Collection. I forget, it was Halo 9 or something like 9 or 10 at that point, I think. Um, the Perfect Drug music video had already come out before that, because I'm being a much music kid. Um, I was all about new music videos, and the Perfect Drug video is beautiful. If you've never seen it before, I implore you to go on, on YouTube now and looking it up. It's fucking incredible. Probably one of my favorite Nigel Nails videos of all time. Uh, this soundtrack was also my introduction to Rammstein, um, mm. uh, who have the self-titled song Rammstein on this on this uh, soundtrack. Uh, Marilyn Manson has a really incredible song called Apple of Sodom. I know we're not, you know, Manson's a piece of shit. Um, I mean, he's also now. He's in the movie, isn't he? He is in the movie. Him and Twiggy are in like a porno near the end of the film. Um, and uh, like, yeah, this movie was everything. To me, to me at the time, um, I remember buying the soundtrack in, in Lockheed Mall at the uh, Music World there and being like, this is this is going to be everything. And then when I watched the movie, I was like, I don't get it, but I love it. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 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 one of those like it's one of those movies where I always connect the soundtrack and the score to it. Um, also, Angelo Badalamenti did the score for this film as well. He's the guy who collaborates with Lynch on uh, Twin Peaks. Mm. Um, and, yeah, there's just so much about this. Uh, the, the dual performance between um, Bill Pullman and Balsar Getty is so phenomenal. Um, and, yeah, it was just... I felt like I was watching art that nobody else was going to get. And I, I, there was something special about that. So, yeah, I, the opening week that I saw it. Yeah, I watched it first time for the podcast, um, and I I was like surprised at the soundtrack for this movie. I spoilers for best performance, but I was going to mention it because it's like you just you listen to music and you go, wait, this is this person or this is this person, and then you go and you read about the behind the scenes afterwards and realize just how many people he got to collaborate with him or write songs for the movie, um, and it's just kind of like I think Smashing Pumpkins had a song that they wrote. Um, for the movie, and then Lynch didn't end up liking it, and so they, like, Billy Gordon went and, like, rewrote something else for it instead, and he ended up using that, or, like, it's just crazy how many big names were involved in this movie, um, that I didn't even realize, um, and it, like, the soundtrack there, I mean, there are some moments where I'm fucking headbanging as the scenes are going on, because it's just, like, it's kind of badass, um, but yeah, so... First time watch uh, for the podcast, um, and I will probably rewatch this one again in the future. I, this is definitely on the rewatch list for me because it involves so much like potential tiny whiny bullshit that I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have to rewatch it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's also, also a first time watch for me. I've never seen this movie before, so. and uh, I definitely think I need to watch it again to understand, or not. Maybe I could just read an explainer, but. Like, part of me thinks if I rewatch it, I'll get more out of it, but then I also think, like, I feel like 
I probably got the general chest of it. Mm. But, yeah, I'm also just, like I said, I, I, I respect David Lynch for what he does, but I, I don't think he's ever going to be, like, my top five filmmakers of all time, which I respect people that put him there, for sure, but, yeah, just not my personal cup of tea. And, uh, mm. yeah, this movie was something else. Um, okay. um, we got a couple of people. Benji says, I read that Lost Highway was inspired by aspects of the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm. That checks out, I guess. Yeah, that was that was kind of what I referenced earlier with the true crime case. And, and I, I guess David Lynch had made a comment at one point about how he was fascinated by this, this aspect of a, a celebrity who has committed a crime but has somehow convinced themselves that they are innocent or not guilty of that crime. Um, and it's obvious to all the people around them, but not to themselves for some reason. I mean, I don't know how much OJ has convinced himself he's innocent as opposed to just lying to everybody about it. But uh, that is what I read was the inspiration for um, Fred's character in general um, and, and just the, the madness that would have to come along with convincing yourself you haven't committed this crazy, brutal crime against someone you're, you love, essentially. It just checks out, I guess, the fact that someone's in denial on mm-hmm. that they did, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely checks out when it's, like, David Lynch putting that through his lens and interpreting it the way that he would interpret it, too. Yeah. Um, I think if if David Lynch was going to write OJ's story, this is probably this, as close as we would get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer says, is it just me, or did this movie have no plot, or have no plot? Um, yeah. It has a plot, but uh, doesn't have a conventional it, plot. No, that's probably the better way of phrasing it. But. Yeah, I mean, it really depends how you interpret it too. Because I can definitely see a perspective where that scene at the end, where Fred goes back to his own door and says David Laurent is dead, or or mm-hmm. whatever it was that he said. I can see someone looking at that and being like, "Oh, well, it's just Luke. What's the point of you know what's even going on? Things like that. Like nothing was." He just drives off and nothing was actually resolved. Um, there, there were some of those thoughts that went through my head when I first finished the movie. Um, but I don't know. You sit and you think about it a little bit. Um, and if you don't want to think about it too much, I can't blame you for that because there's a lot of shit happening in this movie that doesn't get explained uh, in a conventional way. Um, but if that's your jam, then I think you just kind of kind of sit and maybe read some online explanations and, and it might make a bit more sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's definitely a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot more than than um, um, uh, Eraserhead. That's yep. for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like in general, so. Definitely. Um, I mean, I love a lot of Robert Blake's lines in this movie, even though Robert Blake's a fucking psychopath in real yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, do we want to give credit to this guy? But sometimes, right. you know, I do like Ed's line of "fucker gets more pussy than a toilet seat." Yeah, there was a, another good line, smooth as shit from a duck's ass. I wrote that yeah. one down, too. I uh, love the, I love the uh, call me, dial your number, go ahead. That scene is fucking awesome. Oh, yeah, that one, that one's really I told you I was here. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, oh, it's oh, so good. And then he laughs at the same time as, as him on the phone, and it sounds yeah. like demonic because they're both, it's both at the same time. That was really cool and creepy. Well, and because Blake believed that he was playing the devil. Uh, that 
makes sense. Lynch, Lynch never gave him a clear indication of what his character was to be, so he just kind of gleaned his own thoughts from the script, and uh, which is, I mean, a kind of a regular thing for Lynch handing his actors scripts, and just, what do you think yeah. comes out of this? And I, I think the person that, the actor that's closest to understanding what their roles are, are his favorites. Kyle MacLachlan, Laura Dern, Jack Nance. They always knew exactly what they needed to be in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone else is kind of doing an interpretation of what they think. Anthony Hopkins in, in Elephant Man, Nicolas Cage in Wild at Heart. They're just kind of rolling with what they think should should be the drive of the character. But the ones that get it, you know. They're the ones that always consistently work with Lynch again and again and again afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that interpretation of like being the devil, for some reason I hadn't thought of it, but that actually makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. when I first got to the end of Lost Highway... I was a little frustrated that I didn't know what his character's purpose was. Like, why was he there? Sometimes he seemed to be on Laurent's side. Sometimes he seemed to be against Laurent or, or the main character. Sometimes he just seemed to be, like, some of that stuff I felt like didn't have enough explanation. But then at the end of the day, I was just like, you know, his character was probably maybe just doing that for chaos purpose, you know? Like, yeah. just trying to fuck with the lowly humans that he can use his weird magic abilities on. And it, it, interpreting him as the devil makes so much more sense. Yeah. Because that's all the devil The devil is chaos incarnate. He's coming down to fuck with humans and, and fuck with God's plan, you know? So that that actually makes a lot of sense to me. I would... I, I bring it back to a Marvel term, because it's like a... It's, yeah, it's the devil, but I always bring it back to the term Mephisto, like a, like a trickster. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like one that's, like, guiding your hand into making a decision that would place you directly in the palm of his... Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about him. And he even has like a like a Mephisto like clownish look to him. Yeah. So yeah, kind of not quite the devil, but like the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of best line, I also liked tailgating rampage. <laughs> that I mean, from what I've read, that is um, just David Lynch's real thoughts about a tailgating incident that happened to him and all the things that went through his head that he wanted to do to that person. Um, and that scene in particular was just so nuts and so over the top. I just, I loved it because you could feel that that rage was coming from a real place almost like whether in the writing or the acting or somewhere, it was like someone has an issue with tailgaters in this scene and it is very apparent. Yeah. Boy, that's smooth, smooth as shit off of that's ass. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, Fred's throwaway line of when they ask him why he hates video cameras and he says I like to remember things my own way which turns out to be very very foreshadowy for the fact that this movie is literally him trying to remember things that he did wrong his own way you know like this is his brain interpreting it his own way even though in the moment when he says that line you laugh and you go okay buddy whatever Uh, yeah, I don't want to celebrate Robert Blake at all because he's a fucking convicted murderer now. Mm. But, but he, I mean, he had so much atmosphere to this movie. Um, but I, I mean, I just, the, I really like the whole cast in this movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, Patricia Arquette's really great. Yeah. Bill Pullman's really good. Balthazar Getty, because they're all both playing off each other, and that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Henry Rollins is in this movie. 
I mean, Michael Massey, uh, they just, there's just so many great performances. Fucking Gary Busey's in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, Giovanni Ribisi, Natasha Gregson Wagner. I mean, there's. I, I, I might give it to. I actually, I really like Robert Loja, uh, Mr. Eddie, or more mm-hmm. the aforementioned uh, Dick Laurent and guy. Yep. Um, yeah, there's, there's just. Yeah, there's there's so much that works in this movie. Um, but again, I, I mean, I, I do know how skewed I am in my love for this one. Mm. Yeah, I, I almost want to say I wasn't too sure at the beginning of the movie about Patricia Arquette because I didn't quite understand like the relevance of her character and what was going on. But by the time you get to the end of the movie, I feel like her performance just adds the right amount of weirdness. Like she's a little she's a little too quiet. She's a little too, like, something's going on, but you're not quite sure, and sometimes she seems really innocent. Then, towards the end of the movie, she definitely seems like she's almost like a player in this weird, mysterious, magical game. But then she might also not be real. I don't know. I feel like her performance just really adds to the kind of mysteriousness of her her mm-hmm. character. Um, and so I might give it to Patricia Arquette. Yeah, I was also leaning towards Patricia as well, just because I think she, she has... Her role, I guess, just feels a little more exciting in this movie, and, like, she has a little bit more to do, I think. Mm. Yeah. A lot of great performances, though. Okay. Uh, best kill. <laughs> the ta- glass table. I, if we maybe saw more of the scene of the wife being killed, then I would maybe give it to the wife because that seemed brutal. But that head on the corner of the glass table was also pretty brutal, and they give you a pretty good shot of that. Yeah, yeah, it's solid. Yeah. I put the wife just because I thought it was interesting how they like kind of alluded to a lot of it, but yeah, they really didn't show that much. Unfortunately. I mean, I guess narratively it makes sense too because the main character that you're seeing the whole story through doesn't quite remember it either, so I, 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 can, I can understand it even though I kind of wish we did get to see a little more the brutality of it. For sure. Mm-hmm. Just because it's so pivotal, pivotal sorry, to the plot. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, that was decision. Um, I, having sex on gravel? Oh, when I saw <laughs> that scene, I was like, okay, I instantly know the dumbest decision. Like, they would yeah. be so, they would be blood everywhere. Yeah. 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 It'll be gravel where you don't want gravel. Yeah. See, and I feel like that probably points to maybe that scene not happening in reality because they're like, no, there's no way. There's no way. <laughs> there's a car right there. Just go in the car. I, these these questions in Lynch films are so tough. <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, like you said, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to disseminate reality in them. So did that really happen? Who knows? Only Lynch knows and he ain't telling. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's 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 very hard, but yeah, just just with logistics of it, I'll I'll, I'll go Taylor on that one. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of disagree with the having sex on gravel. That would be a painful experience. Yeah, that's that's the only scene that really made me jump up and go, "There's no fucking way." Fair. Okay. You guys want to take a guess what my score is? Oh yeah! I don't know. I don't even think I need to defend that one. I love this movie so much. Um, while it's not, I, I don't believe it's a horror movie. Um, I was so happy to talk about this film on this podcast, and and yeah, uh, I mean this. These two episodes have been an absolute gift to a, a fan like me. So um, yeah, ten out of ten, both of them. 
Be nice. nice. Um, I'm. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kurt. Apparently, there's a 4K restoration of this movie. So. Ooh. Yeah. I see even more detail on that guy's head on the corner of the coffee table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or even more nipple poking through on that dress that Patricia Arquette wore that one time. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm definitely not going to give this a letter like I did with Eraserhead. Um, I I don't know if I would go as high as a 10 because, again, sometimes Lynch's stuff can drag a little bit too much for me, um, even though it really does set the atmosphere. Um, but I, I think I'm going to go with a 9 for this. Um, it really does hit that spot for me of like mind screw and i don't know if right after watching i would have given it a nine i do think this is something that i at least for me need to sit on and really think about and like put the pieces together in my own head which is something that i appreciate about a david lynch movie um is that because he doesn't explain everything there is more room for your own interpretation um and again i was a donnie darko fan when i was a teenager i love the time loop shit i love the recurring like what is the timeline what is actually going on um i don't know if i would necessarily like, it was kind of a reveal at the end that he himself was the one who spoke into the speakerphone at his house before the party, but there's so many inconsistencies with the timeline that it really doesn't make sense as a time loop, so then what is it? You know, like, there's so many questions and mysteries, and my brain just loves thinking about that shit. Yeah. Um, so this is definitely a solid movie, and I, I would uh, I would definitely put this on my rewatch list, just just to go back and see, like, if there were, you know, all the foreshadowy bits and all the little things that Lynch has put in there. It's, yeah, I love it. Uh, I'll be the lowest score. Uh, I'm giving this a 7 out of 10. Uh, I just think, as a first-time watch, it's a very frustrating experience. Uh, mm-hmm. I, like, really respect the craft and the actors and everything about it. Like, on a purely technical level, it's just very well-made. Uh, it's just, yeah, like, it, it's a tough movie for me to recommend to people who are just watching this blindly for the first time because I think it is not a very clean and easy to understand experience. Uh, now, I, I balance it out to a 7. I think it could be higher. Maybe after I rewatch it, but for now at least I'll, I'll give it a 7. Mm. Still quite good, but just <laughs> definitely not a movie that you're going to just be like, throw on casually one day just for the fun of it. Yeah, I mean, David Lynch is anything. It's not always the most accessible to a casual viewer, so it 100% makes sense. Um, or, like, someone who just wants to, like, I don't know, you, you really do have to kind of put your own pieces, puzzle pieces together for his movies. Um, and that's not always the, the type of viewing experience that everyone wants either. For sure. Cool. Uh, well, Steve Birkin, people find you on the internet. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at the Steve Dead. Uh, you can find my website at stevesetting.ca. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd as well. I try to keep that one pretty updated. Um, and uh, I'm on The Shift with Shane Hewitt every Thursday at 11 p.m. Pacific. That one's across Canada and any chorus radio network station. Uh, and I'm on After the Credits with uh, Marina, Bill, and Melissa, and that's a monthly podcast. And yeah, I think that's it. I hang out online. It's usually on Twitch or Instagram under the username Technonomicon. I also upload scores uh, for the movies we cover on the podcast on my letterbox under the username Circeanic. And if I have anything else going on, I'll uh, post it up on my blog, circeanic.home.blog. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm over at Green Rainer. That's where almost every other bit I've got the content going up. And then, um, yeah, you can check me out on Twitter. Uh, feel free to hurt Kawa 
on Letterbox. And um, yeah, I guess we'll see you all next time when we talk horror anthologies, which I love the anthology format. I love these idea of like this little like horror movie appetizers of sorts. You know, mm-hmm. Like little bite-sized little, little stories. Uh, or if you're going to be talking about The Monster Club from 1981, that's a, just a classic. If you haven't seen it, you're in for a treat. Especially, try not to dance uh, at certain songs during that. They're just real bangers of songs. And then, Oh Hallow's Eve, which, funny enough, we actually, earlier this year, did um, the, what was the movie? The, the oh, Terrif- Terrifier? Yeah, Terrifier. Oh, so, Terrifier, yeah. So, you get your first Art to Thumb appearance. Or the clown, just in case you were really messing up. Yeah, right. I mean, I have a slightly more favorable of opinion of uh, him in that movie than the movie we've already covered. Spoiler yeah. alert. Um, Fair enough. Uh, but maybe that's just because we get a, a slightly smaller bite size uh, picture of him instead. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, until next time, everybody. Bye for now.